Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in the Twin Cities, it's time for Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and folks, I've been looking forward to this one. Ann Holder is with us, and she is the founder and CEO of Marani. Ann, welcome. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Hey, it's a pleasure. Uh, let's talk about you and how you're serving folks out there. Tell, tell us a little bit about Marani. Yeah, so um, Marani started really with a purpose to improve maternal and fetal outcomes. Um, there's there's a pretty significant history um, in how we got started and understanding what was going on, but um, it's pretty well publicized now how poor the outcomes are in the U.S. And you think in a highly developed country uh, like the U.S. that we wouldn't have these poor outcomes and we're ranked one of the worst in the world. And um, we really kind of took took it upon ourselves and working with my partners down at the Mayo Clinic to, um, to develop new technology that can really help address the need. Well, I want to dive more into that. Uh, you've got an interesting background, though, Anne. Let's let's talk about you and your background and how you really made the made the um, the move into this particular uh, area of work. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how life leads you down a path that you didn't plan. Um, but I I actually have a military background. And um, I, I, after getting out of the military, ended up going into engineering. I have an engineering degree. So I spent some time in engineering and operations um, and then really wanted to figure out, okay, so how do you drive revenue in, in a company? And this is earlier in my career. And so I made a transition from a career perspective over into sales and then um, got into strategic sales and finance and business development. Um, and as I did that, and I spent several years at Medtronic here in the Twin Cities, sure. and um, what I really saw was this whole um, entrepreneurial uh uh, ecosystem that we have um, here in the Twin Cities. And I visited a lot of different startup companies and really had a passion for driving technology and change. Um, and through all of this, this process, when I was there, um, I just developed a very strong relationship with the Mayo Clinic from an administrative perspective, but then also with physicians. And um, it was really the relationships that I built there that um, really propelled the company as to, um, to where we are now. I started, they asked me to come down and assess this technology and this work that they were doing around um, fetal monitoring. And so I, you know, I looked at it, it sounded fascinating the Mayo Clinic is one of the leaders in utilizing machine learning algorithms and techniques for assessing um, biometrics and data for patterns that are indicative of outcomes. And the whole idea was to use data and um, assess data 
um, to understand if a fetus is doing okay. So that's kind of how it started. And then they asked me to join as an entrepreneur in residence um, at Mayo. And um, before I made that leap, I was like, you know, this is really fascinating. I have four kids um, and, you know, had four babies, was in labor and delivery. And, you know, I've got this technical background and I was in medical devices and I never really paid attention to how antiquated the technology was Mm. when I was actually having my babies, because, you know, as a mom, there's other things going on and you're not actually looking um, at the technology when you're having a baby. So I, but I didn't really understand the market. I didn't understand um, where technology was. So I did a lot of research um, and just kind of assess the market to understand the technology only to find that the technology that is currently used in labor and delivery today literally is technology that came out of World War I and World War II um, and was put into uh, fetal monitoring technology in the 1960s. And it's essentially the same technology that we're still using today. Um, And it really, it gives physicians good information, but they need more. Um, They really need to understand, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what's, what's really the status of, of the baby is the baby sleeping, you know, is there a need for an intervention? So um, I kind of took all of this research and understood there was a huge void in technology for fetal monitoring. So we embarked on this project to literally figure out how we can capture a really clear fetal ECG and maternal ECG and contractions all in a um, low cost uh, reusable device um, that can be used in labor and delivery. So that's really kind of how it all started. Wow. I'm I'm fascinated and dismayed by the notion that um, there's been all this uh, investment in all these different other areas of medical technology, but seemingly so little in this particular area when it comes to maternal and fetal outcomes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people really are in shock when they understand it. There's, there's a lot of reasons behind it. It's a very complex um, assessment. You have to kind of, you know, to try and figure out exactly how we got to where we are here. But part of it too, if you look historically over time, there really hasn't been a lot of investment in women's health and technology specifically for women's health. Um, and this is just one of these areas where, um, you know, there's just a huge need. So uh, let's get specific here, I guess, about the problem you address and, and uh, uh, following on uh, your point. So what one of the things that, that is clear that, that uh, you point out in uh, all your uh, information on the company is that uh, the cost of American obstetric Obstetric care, I'll get that right in yes. a minute, <laughs> yep. is, is uh, among the most expensive in the world. But yet, despite all that spending, the United States has one of the highest rates of infant and maternal deaths among uh, the industrialized world. Yeah. Uh, yes, again, 
very complex situation. You know, healthcare in general in the US is very expensive. But if you have a situation where a mother is, um, you know, has to have a C-section, the baby ends up in the NICU and um, it, it just, the cost of that is very, very high. And then um, the outcomes may not be um, what, what's expected. So, and if you look at what is going on um, currently right now, it's just um, trying to understand this very complex situation where you have um, different demographics, um, socioeconomic backgrounds, access to care, what's happening in our rural communities, you know, um, are, and, and interestingly enough, the number of high risk pregnancies in the U S is going up considerably as well for a number of different reasons. Um, and if you just look at this last period, even with, with, with COVID, um, high-risk pregnancies are going up even higher. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, educating women on, um, you know, care for themselves during their pregnancy and exercise and diet. Um, but you, we've got, we have a pretty dire situation here and um, there's a lot that we need to change. Technology can help change it. Education can help change it. But really what we need to do is try and keep these mothers healthy um, and try and help prevent um, emergency C-sections and NICU stays. And I think that can, you know, um, just a slight improvement can help significantly decrease the significant costs that we have to. Yeah, and that's really where your solution, your approach really, uh, I guess, is a... um uh, more preventative than, uh, I guess where a lot of the cost is, which, you know, the, the, the cost of a NICU is enormous, uh, right. And it's really for, uh, a situation that's occurred, uh, uh, you know, an early delivery that's occurred and it's all after the fact, right. And as opposed to being trying to prevent, uh, that, uh, circumstance to begin with. Yes, exactly. Um, and it, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that we did do uh, through uh, the last 18 months. Um, so when we started developing this technology, we were really looking at developing technology that could be used in labor and delivery. And we were showing our prototypes to physicians and they looked at it and um and really what happened for us, we had always looked at telehealth as part of our strategy. And um, what we decided to do during COVID, because there was such a huge need for remote monitoring of pregnant women and, and getting more data. And when I say data, it has to be useful information. You can't just send data to the physicians. It has to be useful information. So what we actually did was we kind of pivoted our strategy a little bit. We were focused on going into labor and delivery first, but with COVID um, and still today with everything that's going on, um, there's a huge need for remote monitoring um, for pregnancy during the pregnancy, but then also postpartum care. 
So what we've actually built now, in addition to the technology um, where we can capture more information about the mother and the baby during labor and delivery, take that same medical device and use it in the home. So during the mother's pregnancy, we can capture all kinds of biometrics on the mother from weight, blood pressure, glucose, um, and then you add in all of the additional data from our band, um, you can pretty much do the majority of um, visits for a low-risk pregnancy can be done from home. High-risk pregnancies, this is an augmentative technology so that there's more data and if you can imagine just capturing um, something that is going wrong much earlier in the process and treating the mother um, and the baby, um, you can significantly improve outcomes. And so we're doing all that clinical research right now um, for the device and um, getting ready to start some other projects as well. Folks, we're chatting with Ann Holder. She's the founder and CEO of Marani. Uh, and let's get specific about what that technology is. I've danced around it, and I'm, I'm, I want you to introduce exactly what form that technology takes that you've uh, that you've come up with. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and we have we've partnered with a, diff- a couple different companies to help us uh, build the technology. But what we've created is essentially uh, a textile garment, a smart garment that has a number of different sensors integrated into the garment. Um, And it's a a compression band that goes around the belly. And what we can capture is um, fetal ECG, maternal ECG, as well as contractions. Um, And then we can actually, and then that it's a wireless device, and then the data actually can be uh, streamed um, within a hospital, it can be streamed for the clinicians, basically kind of in a control room, or it can also be used remotely in the home. So the checks can be done in the home. And then that data actually is transferred to a portal. So the clinical care team um, in a clinic or hospital can actually access that, that patient data as well. Wow. Um, that's fascinating. And, and when you talk about, as to see in the show notes, you talk about leveraging data and AI, that's really what, that's the form it's taking, right? In that smart garment. So I, that is the power behind this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And the real true reason why we got into um, building this company, it's all about data. Um, It's all about the collection of data and utilizing neural networks or machine learning, um, uh, which is basically AI to assess that data so that you understand changes that can indicate poor outcomes. So we are all about creating a software platform where we can aggregate data. We can utilize the algorithms that we've already created, um, but then also there is so much more that we can learn as we go, as we capture this data. And it's all about finding patterns in the data um, that can point to outcomes so that they can there can be some sharing of information with the physicians to say, okay, here's a situation, we need to take a look at it. Um, And it may be as simple as 
um, doing more checks for the mom, having the mom come in, but it, it's really all about the assessment of that data and giving information that could indicate poor outcomes. I know it's early. You're a young company and, and you, you've been collecting that data for, for uh, a short period of time, but where, what, any conclusions yet in terms of what you're seeing and maybe what's where some of that is leading? Uh, well, there's already been a lot of research that's been done and publications um, that are out there that actually show what you can do with this type of data. Mayo has published numerous um, research projects based on finding these patterns and creating the algorithms. Now, um, one of the key algorithms for us um, that deals with signal processing so that we can actually capture that fetal ECG, we've already licensed from Mayo, um, but there's also a lot more work that we are continuing to do in algorithm development based on data that we've collected in partnership with clinical partners. And, and let's... I guess where are you, is it, this product is sold to hospitals to um, obstetricians. I mean, how, how's, how's what is what's what does the sales channel look like? So, um, and we are early. There are a few segments that uh, um, where we would actually be able to fit into, but where we're really focused right now is working with the provider community mm -hmm. um, and the hospital systems that are looking at trying to figure out how do they manage and care for these patients that could be in significantly remote areas, or it could actually be helping them figure out how to take care of um, patients, even in urban areas, and, you know, for women that just have a hard time getting into their, their office, the physician's offices for their appointments. So um, we're kind of looking at that provider uh, segment first, um, but there's also a huge need in helping um, manage the Medicaid population and partnering with the payers, um, the insurance companies, um, and then also the ability to work with self-insured employers to help them take care of their employees that are pregnant as well. Yeah, I mean, I, there's such every one of those you mentioned have a huge need to reduce costs, uh, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so anything they can do to do that and and improve, obviously improve outcomes. I mean, that's that's obvious. Number one, um, the, the, every one of those uh, folks you mentioned have incentives there. Um, and I want to switch gears just a second because, um, I mean, you, uh, Marani is, uh, let's say, all in. For women, I mean, uh, a woman founder, CEO, all women on your board. Um, let's talk about the challenges of being a startup uh, run by women and trying to raise money for a you know a a, a, a cause that is aimed at women. Yeah. So quite honestly, it was interesting in the beginning. So um, my my partner and uh, co-founder, Kathy Toon, um, she was the one that really helped me. And, and quite honestly, fundraising in the beginning was difficult. 
Um, you know, we had this idea and trying to get networked into the investor community just for those initial angel, angel investments was, um, was really difficult. And Kathy came in to really help me um, and actually was the lead investor for our first round um, and really became an integral part of the company. Um, and now is the chairman of the board and acting CFO and COO. She is truly my partner in this. Um, but I have to say that um, fundraising as a woman in women's health, um, when such a small percentage of funding actually goes to women founded companies and in medical technology, it's even lower it was hard. It was really frustrating. Um, and, but it was once I found the right partners and people that really understood the problem and understood the investment opportunity, that's what really propelled us. Um, mm. and I just have some amazing board members that are also very passionate about what we're doing. And we do as of, um, just a month ago, we now have, um, we do have um, a, a new board member, um, Brady Lip, who who just joined us. So it's not all women anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, shout out to Brady. Uh, but, uh, um, but and, and I have to remind folks, just, we, we've, we've covered this, but I mean, here you are a, a veteran of a med tech icon, uh, Medtronic, here, you know, you'd think in the Twin Cities, given the way the startup culture has expanded so much here over the last several years, that maybe this wouldn't be as big of an issue for you as it was. But it, 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 we've got to say it's a big issue for a, a women owned startup, woman owned startup. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I do believe that there is a ton of work that is going on in the state of Minnesota, though, um, and big organizations that are truly trying to, to help this entrepreneurial ecosystem and really looking to help get entrepreneurs uh, connected uh, with investors. So there's a ton of work that's happening Um there are signs of pretty significant improvement, um, but um, a change is coming. It is coming. I think historically it's it's been difficult, but there there are some organizations that have just been incredibly supportive of of helping um, some of the women and the minority entrepreneurs hmm. get things up and running. And before we leave this topic and and get back to the the great work of Marani I I'd love it if you maybe and you could share some advice to other uh women who are founders who are you know struggling to get the funding for their companies uh what advice would you give them persevere <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really um you do have to persevere and the key is to find the the right people to uh, to bring around you that can help open doors. Um, it, it's really about networking, um, making sure that you have your um, you know you have the right product and it's the right market and you have the right value proposition. You know all those things that really um, you have to have. But most importantly, it's having um, a mentor 
that can really help guide you through that process um, of getting the funding that you need to keep building the company. Great advice from Ann Holder, folks. She is the founder and CEO of Marani. Um, so, Ann, what, what's ahead? What does it look like here over the next year, two, or three? But pull out your crystal ball and tell us what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, want, I know what I want to have happen. Okay. Well, let's um, talk we, about that. Are, yeah. So, we're pretty excited. We're getting ready to actually launch our prenatal and postpartum care platform. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're going to be launching here very, very soon. Um, and uh, just at some beta sites with a launch at the beginning of, of 2021. Um, in parallel, what we're doing is we're starting the clinical trials, um, essentially the, all the data that we have to collect, um, for our FDA submission. Um, and that is targeted for next year. Um, so as soon as, so we will launch our prenatal and postpartum care platform, um, without the band, but we'll able, we're still going to collect all of this other data that's still very, very useful. And then as soon as, um, we have clearance, um, we will be adding that into the platform and, um, you know, so, and, and right now it's really about, it's our focus is on, um, commercial and actually getting through this commercial launch and building the team that can do that for us. You mentioned clearance. What, what kind of clearance do you need to, uh, uh, fully introduce the product? Uh, through the FDA. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah so okay. we have to have FDA clearance. It is a medical device. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and, and, uh, what, what's the predictability or unpredictability of that? How has COVID impacted maybe the timing of that, given what, the, where their attention lies? You know, quite honestly, um, the timelines, haven't really slipped that much in our area. I have heard from other folks that there are some delays within the FDA, but we really haven't had any significant delays, Um, maybe kind of getting pushed towards the outer limits when we want to have a call with them. Um, But right now in our area, I don't think we have anything to worry about. Terrific. Um, And this has been great. I mean, I can't imagine that um, there aren't, there's not someone that would like to know more about uh, your product and your technology. Uh, let's let's uh, give them the coordinates on how they can get more information. Yeah, so the best way to get information is go directly to our website, which is uh, www.moranihealth.com. Um, and there's also, uh, you've got the ability, um, to actually contact us through that website as well. Terrific. Ann Holder folks, uh, founder and CEO of Marani and congratulations on the work your you and your colleagues are doing. It's such so important and we're just delighted to be able to celebrate that work. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. It's, it's our great pleasure. Uh, folks, just a quick reminder that you can find this show, uh, Minneapolis St. Paul Business Radio, on all the major podcast apps. Uh, that's the search term if you're looking for it, Minneapolis St. Paul Business Radio. We would love it if you would subscribe to the show. And if you're able to give us a review on your uh, podcast app, if they allow that on your app, uh, we're asking for five stars. It's not about me or Business Radio X. It's about our great guest. 
uh, business leaders like Ann who do great work, and we want them to be uh, found and celebrated. So for my guest, Ann Holder, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio.